Welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. In this episode, we dive into the importance of building high-performing teams and creating a culture of psychological safety. So get ready to gain insights on leadership, team dynamics, and the impact of psychological safety on business success. Colin, take it away. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell, and the show is brought to you by Lidium. I've got my man, Ronan Passar, back on the show. And if you haven't caught any of the past episodes with Ronan, definitely we'll drop those in the show notes so you can. Uh, Ronan is um, a longtime uh, friend and somebody who's been on the show many times. He works with um, helping teams with high-performance results-driven culture and we're going to dig into some of that stuff today. Ronan, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me back, Colin. Always a pleasure and, and just great to catch up with you in general. I always tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, I want to, when I grow up, I want to be like Colin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be careful what you wish for. Um, <laughs> but man, yeah, it was nice. To, no, always nice to catch up. Sometimes, you know, uh, I know many of us stay pretty busy. And so sometimes the best way to catch up is to have you back on the podcast. <laughs> hey, it works, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, give people a little bit of context on your background briefly, yeah. and then we'll kind of jump into the topic for today. I'll give you the highlights reel. So back in, uh, I graduated from a college that most people have never heard of, Yeshiva University in New York City. Uh, yep, dual curriculum. It was like 9 a.m. till 9 p.m., Judaic studies. And in my case, I thought I was going to be pre-med. That didn't work. I spent eight hours a day in the library studying biology only to get a C plus. Uh, that was an awful but also very telling experience where I was like, all right, maybe I shouldn't be a doctor. Uh, moved into psychology, loved it. Ever since I've been obsessed with people, relationships, uh, I got a minor in business. Right out of college, I went into like property management. I was managing like out of college as a kid with no real skills. I was managing a team of 25 people. And I just made every mistake. It was like I had, and, and there were re, like remote satellite offices. So I was managing people in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. I was in the New Jersey office. I was flying around and uh, it was it was not pretty. Uh, I remember the first time I had, to, I had to fire someone. It was it was brutal. Maybe we can get into that later. Fast forward, um, I had a really rough um, traumatic experience in my life where I lost my best friend. And through that loss, I sort of had this moment of like waking up of like, I'm sleepwalking through life. I just need to wake up and like get my life together. I can't waste it. And I was like, what do I want? What do I want? I want to be in tech. So I'm not an engineer. The only thing I can do is cold call. There I am, 2015, um, at a really cool company called Smartling, New York City, Midtown Manhattan, 39th and Broadway on the 13th floor. But it was the 14th floor because there's no 13 floors in Manhattan. It's a weird thing. True story. <laughs> yeah. And there I am, cold calling, cold emailing, social media, 2015. The only training I had was from my manager who was six, six to nine months ahead of me in his skill level um, and John Barrow sales training. Those were the two things, filling the funnel, the only things that I had access to. And I made every mistake until I kind of figured it out. Uh, fortunate enough that the company took a shot on me when, when that manager decided he was going to move on. Uh, they promoted me to team lead and then manager. And that was it. From then on, uh, I had a 16-month streak of my team hitting quota. I helped grow that team from myself being on that original five to eventually 16 with two other team lead, uh, three other team leads. Got a really cool job offer to come to called Security Scorecard in 2017. Five SDRs, about 7 million ARR. Four and a half years later when I left, there was 40 SDRs. 
uh, three managers. Uh, I took on a team of 16 commercial reps as well. They're now a multi-billion dollar valuation unicorn. Hopefully they go IPO this year. Please, please, please. And <laughs> from there, I thought, let me just start from scratch. Stylo, no customers, no money other than like really just friends and family. Um, three, three homies that I met at Security Scorecard, all of us were like, let's go do this startup thing. Um, that was really tough, but I learned a lot in that experience. Built that um, that customer base, the first like 12 customers, quarter million. And we got our seed funding, $3 million on a $12 million valuation. Now here I am, just full-time consulting, um, doing fractional sales development work, but also leadership training and uh, culture development stuff. So yeah, it's been an illustrious 10 years, but a, a really wonderful journey so far, learning a lot about myself along the way. Yeah. I'm super curious to find out like um, when you had that sort of awakening of like, I'm just kind of sleepwalking through life. What, what, what made you think, I want to get into tech and make cold calls? <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask that because I'm sure everybody's wondering the same thing. Uh, truth of the matter is um, I had this... I had this bug in my head already back in, in high school. Uh, actually, no. It goes back to when I was like five or six. I found a letter once that I wrote where I wrote, when I grow up, I want to be an inventor. I've always been obsessed and interested in a really healthy way with like technology. Always, um, you know that adoption curve? I'm always like the first one to get things. I got Snap glasses when Snapchat put out glasses, the first Apple Watch, the first Android I've learned to yeah. stop buying the first of products because they're always the worst, but <laughs> I'm the guy who wants to try it. I'm, I just love tinkering with, with tech and that's how I'm wired. So I thought, what a better way to, to like tap into that than to be in tech and be in the startup world. Now I know a whole lot more about like the nuance of what software is versus hardware versus all these different spaces. But I had no skills that I could offer other than an entry level position. And in that case, it was sales development. <laughs> so I thought, yeah. all right, I'll do whatever it takes. I was that like wide eyed, naive, but super high energy young kid ready to do anything to make his dream become a reality. Yeah. And and then there's there's kind of a common theme here, right? Um, in in some of your, your roles, lack, lack of resources. Um, and you mentioned made a lot of mistakes. So curious in that first time leadership role, what are some of the mistakes that you learned from um, and what are some yeah. nuggets that you could share with maybe for some first time leaders that are looking to build good culture? First of all, um, man, first time leadership is tough because you're starting to juggle everything outside of your locus of control. You just went from for a lot of people from being like maybe an individual contributor, someone who understood their skill, their skill set, what they had to do and they did it well to now having to be involved with leadership, a team, cross-departmental people. All of a sudden, you are a like a connective tissue in an organization that has so many pieces that connect to other parts of the organization. And you have to have like this greater than myself awareness. Um, what, I, what I learned was I thought there was a right way to do things, which I don't really know where this idea came from. But it was like, let's be numbers driven, metrics driven. Let's let's turn everything and everyone into uh, being the most perfect, like high performing machine. It's like, no, hang on a second. People aren't machines. So one of the mistakes I made early on was not investing enough in the relationships with the people. Mm -hmm. 
I was working with, my bosses, my cross-departmental peers, and especially my team. And in that first management role out of college, I was always the guy who was just checking in on, did you get that done? Did you hit your goals? Um, what's And no one wants to work for that person. That person is yeah. awful. That person's a nightmare. So I, I made that mistake firsthand. And one of the telling moments was actually when, when I had to let someone go. Um, this was really like hilarious in hindsight, but she happened to be in the back office with me. Uh, this is based out of New Jersey where I was working at the time. And uh, we're having the conversation. I'm like, hey, so like, do you know, have any idea like what, what we're going to talk about today? Do you have any sense? And she was like, no, not really. And I was like, well, unfortunately, like this isn't working out. And, um, you know, I want to thank you so much, but like, we're going to have to move on. And to my shock, like she was happy. She was mm. like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it's like, what is oh, happening uh, right now? I thought you were not, about to be not the, uh, not the, not what you were expecting. Yeah. And really what I learned in that was sometimes letting people go means letting them free their time up to go pursue something they actually want to do. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they were just sitting on it. You know, maybe they had this idea of like, I need the job security and I can't move on. And, um, <laughs> but she ended up telling me, she was like, I was like, do you have any feedback? And she's like, yeah, um, you gotta lay off of all the, that intense, like, have you gotten it done? How are you doing on this thing? And just like, let people do their job. So that's when I knew I was being way too in the weeds with the team and not thinking high level enough, but also not trusting. That's a big first time, first time or mistake. I mean, the, the interesting thing there is that probably not a lot of people give any thought to, or like, especially first time leaders or anybody even managing a small team is people don't do their best work when they're in a job that they hate. And as a leader, you do have, you know, some control around whether they hate their job or not. Not completely, because it's partially on you and there's partially on them as well. But are you contributing to making them love their job or are you contributing to making them hate their job? Yeah, this is where it actually gets really interesting. So in 2015, Google spent a ton of money on something that they then later dubbed Project Aristotle. Have you heard about this one? I have. It sounds familiar, but I don't remember the details. Okay, so this was one of those like, for HR at least, but one of those like industry-shaking reports. Google, by the way, puts out tons of research if you're not aware. Mm -hmm. And they're up there with the universities. Um, so in this one, what they asked was the question of, can we, for once and for all, determine what leads to the best performing teams? Can we finally figure it out? They poured millions of dollars into this question. And what they found was pretty surprising because it then opened up an entire sub-industry within industrial organizational psych, within the whole like class of psychology that has to do with asking the question of like, how does work and people's emotions come together what they found had nothing to do with skill, experience, um, didn't have a lot to do either with what I'll call like job satisfaction, which is really interesting because this does mm. this does impact it. What they found is there was only really one true indicator, one thing that actually led to teams consistently being top performers versus the ones that that didn't. 
And what that came down to was something that they coined as psychological safety. Hmm. And psychological safety is now, if you Google it, you'll find incredible work, especially by someone named Amy Edmonton. Um, she's out there in a big way, putting out all this great information about it. Um, but what psychological safety is, is it is the bedrock of a successful environment because it means a lot of things can be true. So to define it, psychological safety means I feel safe in my work environment most of the time, all the time. Not yeah. only do I feel safe in my environment, my manager is safe. My coworkers are safe. My peers are safe. The opposite of this is I, this is very pervasive today. I am passive aggressive and hide. Uh, that could be because my boss is very aggressive, like I was in that first job, always following up with things that I have to do. So if I mess something up, what am I going to do? So Amy's work, which is fascinating, is in the realm of failure because she takes it a layer deeper. And she says, she says like failure isn't all, all good. You know how like Silicon Valley loves saying fail forward? Like that's actually a crock of, yeah, not true. <laughs> there's certain kinds of failure that are good and there's certain kinds of failure that are just stupid and shouldn't happen. Failure when you know the answer is bad. Failure in a new realm. Or even continuing to fail at the same thing. Not good. Yes, yes. And she says there's a good kind of failure. Successful failure is, is the kind of stuff that leads to legendary companies in Silicon Valley. And this is what the saying means. When you, there is no predecessor, when there's no known information about something. So like the world of AI right now has a lot of this possible, right? Who knows how we can use AI to do new things. So there's a lot of potential failure that is good failure. But that's not going to be possible if you walk into an environment where you're going to be punished for doing something wrong or you're nervous or scared about a reaction of a coworker, a boss. So that's the idea of psychological safety that when it is present at companies, like 70, 80 percent of the people feel that those companies, if you track them over the course of like a 15, 20 year trajectory, will beat out. Other companies in the public market, they have this data uh, by about like 900% to like 80% growth. Wow. That's incredible. So the, the money's there. The bottom line is there. It impacts dollars because when you think about it, like turn it into yourself. If I show up to a job every day where I know I'm going to be pushed to do good work to my best, but it's also okay to mess up. It's also safe to do things wrong if there's a way... Uh, for me to then learn from that and grow, I'm going to be innovating all the time. I'm going to be doing my best work. I'm going to feel like I can show up in an environment where I can be the best version of myself every day. Thanks for tuning in. Please don't forget to like and share so we can help more people transform the way they sell.